0: Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Joe. Can we give a hand to Joe? That is so good. You know, I am so impressed with all of you being here. What are you doing here? Do you realize that you missed an hour of sleep? I mean, seriously, Tucker, when I was your age, I would have just thought, you know what? God understands. God understands. I'll just praise the Lord and worship him in my bed. You know, praise, praise Father, Son, and Holy but no, you guys are definitely better than than I am. Thank you, Joe, for reading that. I, I said that last week that there are six power-packed chapters in the book of Ephesians. He just read twelve power-packed verses, full of the richness of God, the glory of God, the love of God. So much. More. If you've ever taken a New Testament Bible class, maybe a New Testament survey class, anything that covered the book of Ephesians, you'd know that verses 3 through 14 is one long sentence. Uh, in the Greek both of my parents are English majors so every paper I ever turned in in high school most of the papers I turned in in college had, had to be proofread by either my mom or my dad as a run on sentence this long it would have never gotten Mama Bursch's seal of approval I can just see her saying I don't care who you are the Apostle Paul or Jesus himself this is unacceptable but for me as I read this section I hear and I feel Paul's excitement. I feel his joy, his wonder at who God is, who his father is and what he has done for us. Paul, full of joy, shares from the depths of his soul a song of praise. A song of praise and amazement at what we as Christians, as God's chosen people, have been blessed with now that we are found in Christ. Let me read it again with this in mind. It is a song of praise. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he freely has given us in the one he lives. In him we have redemption through the blood, forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He is what lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding He's made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Amen. In Him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of His glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is this deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's position, possession to the praise of His glory. It is a hymn of praise. I love what you said, Joe, about blessings. We get so caught up with blessings, but it's spiritual blessings. Blessings that can only come from Father God. Again, there's so much in this passage. There's enough meat on this rack of ribs to be eating for a long time. We could write endless books. In fact, endless books have been written on this passage. We won't be able to cover it all today, but this book of Ephesians, don't you just get it? That in the book of Ephesians, you jump into the deep end right away. Do you see that? There's no tiptoeing into the shadow waters or shallow waters? No, this is a full-fledged cannonball deep into the grace of God. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I am excited today. I, I am so excited that you have given us your word. That we are not helpless. We do not have to wander this world alone. Wondering how to do this thing you call life. You have given us instructions. You have given us your manual. And you have revealed to us your truth. That we are hid in Christ. That in Christ, Lord, we are perfect. In Christ, we are free. In Christ, we have eternal life. I thank you so much, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. So verses 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Right away, we see this truth that is so vitally important for us to understand. It's this truth that God chose us. God chose us. We often think of us choosing God, don't we? We feel like we decided to choose Jesus. We are in the supermarket of religions perusing the aisles. And we decided to take Jesus off the shelf because he was the right price, free. And he had, and he came with the right features, right? Joy, peace, goodness, eternal life, those kind of things. So he said, hey, I like this. We'll pick him. So we picked Jesus. And yes, we did have to put our faith in Jesus. But Paul tells us in this passage that God chose us. This should fill us with amazement. Me choosing God with all the junk in my life, all the missteps, all the evil things I have done, any man in his right mind with a past like mine would choose God. But no, the wonder and the awe of it all comes with the fact that the God of the universe, of heaven and of earth, of all living things, this God chose me. And Paul talks about the benefits of God's choice, the benefits God chose to bless us, as Joe said, with blessings, spiritual blessings, blessed with the things of heaven. Now, if I turn on Christian TV or turn on Christian radio, this verse is really popular. You're going to hear this verse a lot. It usually involves a preacher telling you how God wants you to be rich and God wants you to have lots of money. This is kind of what it goes like. We'll try my best. Oh, I can feel it tonight. There is an Ephesians 1, 3, tenfold blessing out there tonight for the first 100 people to get $100. You can test the Lord in this area. He will bless you tenfold for he is the owner of a cattle on a thousand hills. Well, you have found favor in the sight of the Lord for your faithfulness to him. All right, that stuff drives me nuts. <laughs> and I'll tell you what. Um, hopefully I'll never do that again. That was, that was, because, you know, it manipulates people into giving. And I don't, I don't think that's God's heart. Giving comes from a cheerful giver. It does, right? From a thankfulness and a gratitude. It doesn't come from manipulation. And number two, it perverts the truth that in reality, God really does bless us. And oftentimes it involves Money. My family has always been taken care of by the Lord. As we give, as we've taken huge steps of faith in our giving, more and more, God has proved himself to be faithful. He has blessed us, richly blessed us. And his provision is part of the glorious truth that we serve a risen Lord who supplies all of my needs. We are a blessed people. Would you agree with that? But, you know, just sometimes our greed, our fleshly desires makes the idea of blessings all about money. When we talk about being blessed by God, we go straight to money, right? I'm blessed. Oh, you must be rich. But the blessings that Paul is talking about go much deeper and are much more satisfying than just money. I've had money before. I've also not had any money before. Like the first year we were here at LifeSpring. Do you remember my family, the family of four? We lived in my parents' spare bedroom in their house. I did part-time census work for the U.S. government. But even then, we were blessed. We were rich in the Lord and it didn't have to do with money. So then what are these spiritual blessings that come from heaven that prepare us for heaven that are found only in God? What are they? Well, they're found in this passage. They're pardon and peace, redemption, forgiveness, adoption, the earnest or the deposit of the Holy Spirit, which is a reminder to us of our eternal inheritance. These are the true spiritual blessings that, guess what, no one else can give us. Who else on the face of the earth or in the heavens above could truly save us from our sins? Who could free us from that bondage of slavery? Who else can give us that peace that the Bible tells us passes understanding? There is no one. Through Jesus Christ, in Christ, we have these blessings. And for me, i got to be honest, the greatest blessing is the blessing of the Holy Spirit. You can have the money. I want the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, He reminds me of who I am in Christ. Who I am, that I am God's son, that I am adopted in his family. The Holy Spirit reminds me of my identity. The Holy Spirit gives me such a boldness to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. He removes my fears. He helps me with my doubts. He reminds me that this world is not my home, that Jesus has prepared a place in heaven for me. The Holy Spirit is a foretaste of heaven in my soul. It is a glimpse of heaven. And if this earnest or this deposit is so great, so amazing, wow, what heaven must must be like amen. praise the lord for the blessing of the holy spirit you can have the world just give me jesus just give me his holy spirit so we are blessed by our father god in christ jesus amen amen, amen. amen. verse 4 for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight holy and blameless holy is the greek word hagias which is to be different or set apart A temple was considered holy because it was different from other buildings. A priest was holy because he was different than ordinary men. A sacrificed animal was holy because it was different from other animals. God is supremely holy because he is different from any other being. Guess what? You are holy because we are different from other men. The early church understood this. There was a difference between us and the world. In fact, the difference might end up getting you killed or at least abandoned by your family ostracized for believing in Christ Jesus. You're still going to find that in many countries around this world, much more than we realize. Go to China or Iran or Somalia, Nigeria, just pick one. Because of that difference, there's a dangerous outcome and a dangerous possibility of you being harmed because of that difference. See, as believers, we are holy. We are set apart. And the reality is not because of anything we have done. Right. It's by the wonderful blood of Jesus Christ. His sacrifice has made us holy. But as American Christians, based solely on outward appearance, you would think that there was nothing different about us compared to the world. We use the same vulgar language. We commit the same sins, watch the same inappropriate movies. We look a lot like everybody else. I don't want to confuse you. You might be doing the exact same things as those in the world, but you are completely different. You are on the other side of grace. You might look the same, but you are completely and radically different than those who have yet to be born again. But for those of you who have been born again, who are now living as a new creation, like Randy talked about... Let's start looking and sounding like we actually believe that we are holy, set apart, different, strangers, visiting this earth until we go home to be with Jesus. Let's be different. Let's be different. Now, people can take this to a pretty unhealthy extreme where we just kind of become weird. We, we join a commune. We start making our own clothes. We name all our kids Obadiah and Jethro. We eat food only found in the book of Leviticus. That's just weird. That's awkward. Jethro, yeah. Someone, Someone named Jethro was like, hey, dude. Why are you making fun of my name? But we are to be different. And Jesus helps us out on what being different should look like when he prays for his disciples. He's praying to his Father. He says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world. Even as I am not of it. I love that. Verse 15. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, join a commune, but that you would protect them from the evil one. That's the that's the prayer that every parent needs to pray for their kids and over their kids. As a parent, we aren't supposed to hide our kids from the world, but we better be praying for them that they would be in the world, but not of the world. That's why I love the group that Cindy has. It's a a prayer group for mothers of teenagers. They are praying for their kids. Because this is scary stuff, right? Scary stuff. That as they go through their school, as they hang out with their friends, that they would grow and mature. They'd become holy, set apart, different. That they wouldn't live as the world lives. They wouldn't do as the world does. But that they would be difference makers for the kingdom of God. Difference makers for the kingdom of God. That's what I always prayed for. When I prayed for Saul as their leader, I prayed that they wouldn't hide from the world. that They wouldn't live in fear of the world, but that they would walk into it with a boldness and a fearlessness that only comes in the Holy Spirit. That they would be the Saul of the earth, right? And the light of the world. They would be difference makers for the kingdom. So we are to be holy, set apart, different and blameless, blameless. The Greek word here is amamos. Blameless. Jump back to the Old Testament for a second. Under Jewish law, before an animal could be offered as a sacrifice, it had to be inspected. If there's a blemish to be found, the animal is rejected. Only the best was fit to be offered to God. Amamos. Amamos sees the whole man as an offering to God. Every part of you, all that you say and all that you do offered to God. Blameless. Perfect. Again, we find this truth of being blameless only in the person of Jesus Christ. We are blameless because of Jesus, by the grace of God. But I would say, let's act like we believe this is true. And hopefully I'm not adding works to the grace of God and what he has shown us. Through his Son, Jesus Christ. Our salvation is based on one work, the work Jesus Christ did on the cross. But shouldn't this truth, the truth that we are blameless, compel us to have our outward actions line up with the truth that resides within us? The fact that I am blameless in Christ, it's overwhelming. It is definitely undeserved. Holy and blameless? You kidding me? Holy and blameless? Yes. Yes, that's exactly how God sees me. That's exactly how God sees you in Christ Jesus and because of what he's done for us. And because of this truth, we should never settle for second best. Why would we ever settle for anything less than God's best for our lives? Let our actions line up with the truth of who we are. There's no need to indulge in the sinful nature. There's no need to gratify the desires of the flesh. We've been set free from the power of sin. That's what Romans 6 tells us. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. In Christ, we live. In Christ, we are free. We are holy and blameless. Rejoice in that. Embrace this truth. Let our lives be lived in a way that actually looks like we believe it's true. Holy and blameless in Christ. Let's move on. Verse 5. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Man, it gets better and better, doesn't it? Again, this whole passage, it's an amazing expression of Paul's excitement and gratitude for all that God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. Verse five gives us this amazing mental picture of us being adopted as sons and daughters into his family, all according to God's plan. An adopted believer, a pardoned sinner. I love how it puts all the praise, the glory and the honor onto God, onto our gracious father for what he has done. It was his grace and his love that laid out the path for redemption. That sent his son to the cross. It was his grace and his love that drew us close to Jesus to embrace that salvation. We are adopted again, not based on anything that we have done, but because of what Jesus has done according to God's pleasure and his will. And Paul is saying that our response to God's plan, to God's will and to God's grace is praise. Praise. Again, this whole passage filled with praise. Praise Father God who has adopted us by his love according to his good pleasure and his will. This passage is amazingly encouraging for the believer, isn't it? You know, it's also extremely fun for the Bible scholars because this passage gets us into the topic of election and predestination. Two real churchy words. The idea that God is choosing who will be saved and who will be eternally condemned. I told my dad yesterday that I'd be talking about this, and he said, Good luck with that. (laughs) It's literally what he told me. Thanks, dad. (laughs) Hug. (laughs) You'd be hard pressed to find an issue in Scripture that has drawn more conflict, arguments, books, debates, controversy than predestination. I actually don't blame people for getting kind of worked up with it because it has to do with your eternal dwelling, heaven or hell. And this issue of predestination, it's really big in theological circles. It's the stuff pastors talk about. Case in point, when I was up at Schweitzer two Sundays ago with my two brothers who are both pastors, guess what we talked about? No joke, we talked about predestination, eschatology, the study of end things and hell. Predestination, eschatology, and hell. For like three hours, some vacation Oh, my goodness. We're talking about Calvinism, Arminianism, all kinds of isms. It was nuts. My wife fell asleep on the couch. We were boring her to death. It really, you can ask her, it's really how it went. But here's the the deal. All three of us pastors. And we all kind of disagreed with each other. And we're brothers. And we all love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and all our strength. And yet we have differing opinions and a lot of these issues of the faith. And to be honest, that's why I love being a part of the denomination that I'm a part of, Foursquare. Foursquare's motto is this, in the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. So those things that really matter. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. In those things, unity. And some of these more fringe topics that still matter, that are still important, but we still are having a tough time completely understanding. Let there be liberty and freedom. And in all things, oh, you better be loving God and loving people. Charity. So there's a lot of disagreement about this topic. But here's the thing I find interesting about it. Paul seems to have no issue with the idea. Look at him. We get all stressed out, mad, angry, whatever about it. Paul just goes on praising the Lord for it. Most churches, in fact, will never talk about this because it's one of those glorious things of God, right? That we cannot fully grasp, that only God truly understands. But also, many churches don't talk about it because we're afraid of it. But look at Paul. He's not afraid. He's excited about it. He's praising the Lord for it. In fact, Paul's mind, the idea of being predestined shows once again how amazing God is, how incredible his grace, how vast his love is for his people. Alright, I hope I don't bore everyone to death. I might, but whatever. The next ten minutes, I'm going to take off my preacher hat. I'm going to put on my teacher hat, and we're going to try to explain the subject just a little bit. Even in this room, I get it. We have differing ideas on this topic. That's okay. I'm I'm not afraid of that. I'm actually really excited about this. If we come at it with the right mindset, this idea of election can be very encouraging for us today. Okay, election. It's people being chosen by God into his family. You've heard it. Maybe God's chosen people. We sing worship songs, right, about that. We preach about that, that. We are God's chosen people. Some Christians following the teachings of John Calvin would believe in an unconditional election, unconditional election, meaning you are chosen completely apart from any repentance, any faith on the part of us. So those who are elected certainly will be saved, regardless of your response to the gospel, regardless of how you live. On the other hand, those who are chosen to be lost will perish eternally, regardless of their efforts to come to Jesus, come to God through faith in Christ. Unconditional election. It goes along with this idea of limited atonement. Have you ever heard of limited atonement, which says Jesus didn't die for all mankind, but only for those whom he chose. God's general call that all men would come to Christ is actually just for those whom he has previously elected for salvation. I strongly disagree with both of those ideas. I do. I I can't imagine the Apostle Paul agreeing with these ideas. I mean, if he believed in unconditional election, what was he doing? Why did he go from city to city, risking getting beat up, getting flogged, imprisoned, risking his life to share the good news, to bring people to Christ? He would have just stayed home, right? He would have continued to make tents, stayed out of danger, let predestination take its course. The Bible tells us that Christ died for all mankind. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He came to die so that no one would perish. So we don't believe in unconditional election or limited atonement. Well, then what do we believe? Let me give you a definition of election that would be something that we'd agree with. Henry Thieson divine's election is this. That sovereign act of God in grace, whereby he chose in Christ Jesus for salvation, all those whom he foreknew would accept him. Pretty wordy. I'll read it again. That sovereign act of God in grace, whereby he chose in Christ Jesus for salvation, all those whom he foreknew would accept him. All right. Go back to verse four of Ephesians. It reads, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Before the creation of the world. So this is a sovereign act of God. It's before the foundation of the world. He chose us. Now, the Bible tells us that all men have sinned. All men are guilty before God. So God is under no obligation whatsoever to provide salvation for any of us. We were all sinners. He didn't have to save us. He didn't have to choose us. But election is an act of God's grace. I hope you see that. See, all mankind deserves nothing but condemnation because of our sin. And there's nothing that we can do on our own that would ever consider us to be worthy of salvation. Yet God offers us eternal life through his son. That's grace. That's unmerited favor. So by the grace of God, he chose us. And he chose us in Christ. In Christ, this is a very important phrase. In Christ, you might want to write it down. In Christ, it's very important because Jesus was the only one who could provide the righteousness that we needed to be holy and blameless. What we talked about earlier. Jesus is the key. Because of our sin, God couldn't just choose us in himself because he loved us. I talked about that when I talked about the plan of salvation. God couldn't just save us because he loved us. No, we needed Jesus. There needed to be a mediator. And Christ is the mediator that closed the gap between us and Father God. So God chose us in Christ. Hold on to that thought that God chose us in Christ. Now, God's choice is always according to God's Foreknowledge, his foreknowledge, another big churchy word, knowing ahead of time. I want to read you two passages, Romans eight twenty-eight through thirty. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and those he, and sisters. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. Glorified. First Peter 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Alright, so you have been chosen according to his foreknowledge, his knowing ahead of time. His foreknowledge, not his foreordaining. Now, I think we understand, right, that God, he is working in dimensions beyond what we can comprehend. We are told that he is omniscient, right? He is eternal. He is free from the limitations of time. We get that, right? Okay, so God's foreknowledge looks ahead to events much as we look back at them. His foreknowledge looks ahead to events much like we look back at them. Again, this is amazing. This is beyond what we can comprehend. But this is the God that we serve. But his foreknowledge no more changes the nature of future events than afterknowledge can change a historical fact. So it's foreknowledge, not foreordaining. There's a difference between what God determines to bring to pass and he does determine certain things to bring to pass. And there's a difference between that and what he merely permits. To happen. Again, listen to Henry Thiessen. This is a good one. Listen to what he says. He says, certainly only few who hold the view of unconditional election would teach that God is the efficient cause of sin. Practically all would agree that God merely permitted sin to enter the universe. And all would admit that he foresaw that it would enter before he created anything. If then God could foresee that sin would enter the universe without efficiently decreeing that it should enter, then he can also foresee how men will act without efficiently decreeing how they shall act. Foreknowledge, foreknowledge. All right, get back to Ephesians. We're going to go back to verse 4, verse 3, 4, and 5, talking about being chosen in Christ. Bring that back into play, in Christ. Since we are in Christ, God was not looking at us as we are in ourselves, but he was looking at us as we are in Christ. Those who are chosen are those who are in Christ. By God's foreknowledge, he already saw us as we are in Christ when he chose us. Those of us who are in Christ, we were sinners. We were sinners who now believe in the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ. So we as believers were foreseen by God in Christ when he chose us. How did we get there? How did we get to be in Christ? How? Through faith in Jesus Christ, right? We we repent. We put our faith in Jesus Christ. So God didn't determine who should be there. He simply saw us there in Christ when he chose us. We're all sinners. We're all dead in our sins. That's what Ephesians 2 tells us. Dead in our sins. It's not non-election that leads us to an eternity separated from God. It's sin. I hope we get that, right? It's not because he didn't choose you. It's your sin and our failure to accept Jesus Christ. Every man is free to accept Christ as his personal Savior. Free will. Not only are we invited to do so, we are urged to do so. God loves the world. Christ made a way for all of us. Hebrews 2.9, listen to this. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for who? Everyone. Acts 17.30, in the past God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands who? All people everywhere. To repent, Christ made a way for all of us, but we must repent. We must put our faith in Jesus Christ so that we can be found in Christ. And when we are found in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, we are chosen. And this whole subject, I I just pray that our attitude, our mindset, would be a lot more like Paul's attitude and mindset. One that's excited about it, that praises the Lord for it. To know that God knew me, that he had chosen me before the creation of the world. Wow, that is amazing. And for those of us that are Christians in this room, I kind of feel like we understand that we were chosen, right? I mean, just look at our life and the things that happened in your life to bring you into right relationship with God. You were chosen. God chose you. We get that as Christians. But we understand it on this side of salvation, as believers of Jesus Christ. Okay, I read you Romans 8. Romans 8, great book, right? For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Romans, the book of Romans, it lays out the plan of salvation pretty much better than any other book. But this idea of predestination, it doesn't come until chapter 8 of the book. Chapter 8, which, by the way, at the end of chapter 8, is pretty powerful, right? It concludes with the truth that no one can separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. My point is this. Predestination, it is a truth for believers. For believers to take comfort in. Not for us condemning others who have yet to put their faith and trust in Jesus. That's ridiculous. It reminds me of a story. This is a good, I think it will help us a little bit. It's the story of a man. He's, he's laboring up a hill. He is burdened down with his sin and his condemnation. He sees the door of salvation up ahead of him and he looks up and over it written was whosoever will may come. He comes in, he rejoices as he enters. The burden of his sin is rolled away and lifted. Once inside that gateway of salvation, he looks up and on the inside of the arch, he reads and discovers the words chosen in him before the foundation of the world. See, the fact that we were chosen, it's an amazing truth, but it's one that we discover after we have found the peace for our sins. After we have placed our faith in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And then we we can join Paul. We can praise God. We can rejoice that we are God's chosen people. And one last note on this whole idea of predestination and election. May you never, ever, 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 ever use it as an excuse not to preach the gospel to the world. The Great Commission is the obligation of the church. Be like the Apostle Paul. Give your life preaching the word to the world. God doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to him. And we have a part to play in that. Amen? Amen. <laughs> it's a crazy big subject. Crazy big subject. I mean, most pastors just skip over it. And maybe I will at other times. But, you know, this week, I've got to be honest. It really gripped me. It gripped me. This idea that God chose me. That he knows me. That he's adopted me into his family. This is the word that the Holy Spirit spoke to me this week. Listen up. Dan, you are a chosen one of God. Start living like you believe it's true. Because I don't know about you. But often I think God made a mistake when he made me. I think he made a mistake when he chose me. I wrote a song on my last album and the first line says, I don't know what you were thinking when you chose me. The room is filled right now. This room is filled with people that right now feel inadequate, feel like a failure, feel unworthy, feel like a mistake. Maybe because of your past or your upbringing, you feel like an accident. You feel unlovable without value. A waste of God's time and energy. And most of those feelings and those labels that we have attached to ourselves are still about us thinking that we chose God. Because so many of us, when we decided to choose Jesus, we also said, I'm never going to sin again, Lord. I'm going to be good. I'm going to try real hard. I'm going to make you proud, Daddy. I'm going to try. I'm going to show you that you're going to love me. I'm going to be your favorite. Just wait and see all the wonderful things that I'm going to do for you. And however long you've been a Christian, you've yet to live up to all those promises that you made to God. And so you come in here full of guilt, full of shame, condemned. You look at all these beautiful Christians in here. And you say, if only they knew What a bum I am. If only they knew. And so, if there's anything that I'd want you to take from today, it's this. You did not choose him. He chose you. And he chose you out of his good pleasure and his will. I want to say that again. He chose you out of his good pleasure and his will. God, I want you to know this. You make God happy. You bring him pleasure. So many of you don't believe that. But you do. He's well pleased with you. It's it's not about you and all the things that you're doing. It's about God. It's about His love. It's about His grace. He loves you. I love what Pastor Randy says. He says that God has a picture of you on His refrigerator. Guess what that means? That means you are special to God. He delights in you. He sings over you. He rejoices over you. You know what? He doesn't remove your picture when you do something bad. It's stuck on there with superglue. He's wild about you. He chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. And this is going to sound kind of harsh, but many of us need to stop wallowing around in our sin. Stop having a pity party because of how bad we feel about our sins. Christ didn't die for you so that you could walk this earth feeling like a failure, feeling like you're never good enough. Guess what? You were a failure. You weren't good enough. But Jesus took care of that. He settled that on the cross. You are holy and blameless and it's not because of what you did or didn't do last night. Young person, listen. It's not because of what you did or didn't do last night. Young adult, listen up. You are holy and blameless not because of what you did or didn't do last night. It's because of the blood of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter two nine says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you would declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. So we praise the Lord. We praise Him. We praise Him with our life. We praise Him with how we spend our day. We praise Him in how we accept His forgiveness. We praise Him in how we receive His grace and His mercy. We praise Him as we allow ourselves to experience His love. And we praise Him as we love others. We praise Him just like the Apostle Paul, with excitement, with joy, with thankfulness, with gratitude. We praise Him. Hallelujah. God chose us in Christ. Hallelujah. We praise Him. Can we praise the Lord? Hallelujah. (laughs) Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All because of Jesus. Hallelujah. We praise you, Lord. And I want to close with this worship team. Come on up. I think this is very important today. Everyone, pay attention. There are some of you today that are here that have never put your faith and trust in Christ Jesus for what he has done for us on the cross. You've never believed and trusted in him. And maybe today you are realizing for the first time that it's much more about God choosing you than it is about you choosing him. See, in your sin, you are separated from God. But when you repent and when you believe in Jesus's sacrifice, your sins are forgiven. They're removed and you are now found in Christ. The glorious truth of being in Christ, hid in Christ, holy and blameless. Normally I do this with our eyes open, but today if we could all just bow our heads, close our eyes. Out of respect, we just bow our heads, close our eyes. If you are feeling the call of God on your life. And maybe you were sitting here this morning and you're realizing that God wants you in his family. If you were desiring to repent of your sins, to put your faith in God, to put your faith in his son, Jesus Christ's sacrifice for the first time this morning, I'd encourage you to raise your hand. Just raise your hand right now to invite him into your life. I see you, brother. I see you out there in the back. Amen. Hallelujah. Anybody else? I feel like there's a couple more people here this morning.